Okay, start recording. Recording now. I pressed, I said now when you said now. You are listening to Service Course by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Okay, well, listen, I've got it. Um... Listen, we're just we're just we're just talking about how uh, wait you need to introduce the podcast. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I've got another way of. Do, I'll get AI to do it, Lizzie. <laughs> what I should do. We were just talking. Hello, I'm Tom Wally. This is Lizzie Banks. Welcome Hello. to. Hello. We we were just talking about how AI is going to do us out of a job. I was saying, I work with audio, and um, I use a really nifty bit of AI software these days that just makes even the most rubbish audio sound brilliant. But you're also going to be done out of a job, Lizzie, by AI. Well, I actually don't know if I'm done out of a job or if it's actually making my job more valuable because I was asked to go and do a speech about resilience um, and I don't really feel very resilient at the moment. Um, so I, I did a speech to just sort of talked about myself for uh, half an hour and my husband used their AI chat GPT bot, which I yep. didn't actually know anything about, but he told me everybody will know this bot and asked, asked it to write um, a rousing speech about what we can learn from resilience from professional cyclists. And it was just incredible. It was better than anything that I could have come up with. Um, and so I used this at the end of my speech. <laughs> and it got a great round of applause. And I didn't get a round of applause for anything. So, um, yeah, I mean, if only AI could ride a bike, then, uh, I mean, then yeah. I would really be out of a job. Listen, it's coming It's coming for all of us. Um, on the riding a bike tip, before we get into this um, month's episode, well, first of all, I should say Happy New Year, Lizzie, because we haven't seen each other. <laughs> this this year, um, I have been thrilled. Like whenever we've got a little, um, you know, little chat group on on WhatsApp, and uh, I've been thrilled and trying to make arrangements to record with you that you are busy because for quite a long time you've not really been that busy. So <laughs> I guess you're busy with professional cycling things. Hopefully, yeah, I am busy with professional cycling things. Um, training again. I mean, I've been training for a while now. I guess things are kind of stepping up again slowly, but they're still. You know, I've a lot of people asking me when my first race back will be um, and, you know, kind of tentatively saying end of April, beginning of May. I'm kind of thinking more like May now. Um, things are a little bit slower than perhaps I wanted them to be. Um, and I think a lot of people think that I'll sort of be right back again. But the reality is that um, I was really, really ill for a really long time. And, mm. um, you know, I had seven months where I couldn't exercise at all thanks to pericarditis due to COVID and um, yeah I lost a hell of a lot of fitness so it's it's a really slow journey coming back and um, you know my mind is always wanting to do more and wanting to kind of be where I was pre-COVID um, and there's this constant battle between kind of looking at where you should be uh, or you know and that's really kind of in inverted commas, where you should be. And especially at this time of the season when everybody's in flying form and also then looking back to where you were just a month ago, you know, last, last uh, yesterday I was doing um, some 10 minute intervals at 260 watts up a climb. And, you know, at this time of year, I might be doing 10 minute intervals at 320 watts up a climb um, or 300 watts or something. And so there's this balance of kind of self-congratulation really because actually you know a few months ago I was doing maybe 10 minutes at 180 watts or 200 watts and so it's trying to trying to have that perspective of, of looking you know kind of how much how much you've gained rather than how much you've 
still got to go. Um, and that's hard. That's really hard. But it, it's well, going do, in the right direction. What do they say? They say comparison is the thief of joy. Is that right? Is that what they say? Is that a saying? I feel like it's kind of a saying. Well, it's but it, a saying but, now. We should ask the ask the chatbot. Ask the chatbot. But it's it's funny actually. You talk about comparison because I, you know, uh, my fitness is very different to what it used to be. Sort of, you know, three or four years ago. And actually, this episode, it's a little bit about what I want to do in cycling and how I want to find a, a way back into doing the sport. Um, I think gravel is what I really want to do or what I can kind of commit to um you know around sort of family stuff you know I can probably go away for a weekend with the family and, and do some gravel events um but actually from being on the sidelines for so long just on tip but I I'm intimidated by all of it by getting back on a bike um by getting back out on the road all of this stuff I'm finding it really difficult and you know comparing myself to what I used to be like um yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And as a professional athlete, it must be even worse. Well, I think that, you know, the gravel side of it and sort of the getting back on the road when you've not been on the road for such a long time, it is the reason why the gravel scene has exploded. Because, you know, especially during the COVID pandemic, you know, the roads were so quiet. A lot of people went out on the roads. Then people started coming back on the roads and everybody moved onto the gravel because... Yeah, understandably, they didn't like the traffic. You know, I have near misses daily with yeah. with the traffic. Um, and I get upset by it. I think I had a, you know, I had a couple of really horrible trucks, lorries passing me yesterday and, you know, one where I, it just shook me and I stopped on the side of the road, but because it's my job and it's, you know, something I'm almost hardened to, you have this horrible, horrible experience. Sometimes it brings you to stop and even have a little cry by the side of the road because it was so horrible and you just, you move on and forget about it. Mm. For, but for an average person, that is a an experience that can really shake you and can really make you not want to ride on the road. And I completely understand that. And and when I ride off-road or mountain bike, um, you know, whether it's gravel rides or mountain bike rides or whatever, um, you really feel that sense of peace and tranquility and the kind of the, the safety side of it that you don't have when you're riding on the road. And so I completely understand why there's been such an explosion in gravel riding because you are so much more kind of in touch with nature than you mm. are when you're on the road, depending depending where you are. Um, and it just it just feels it just feels like a really nice environment to be in. And so I think you know never feel bad for putting your bike in the car and driving it somewhere. So that if you don't want to be on the roads, if you want to you know sort of get back into road riding, but you start by going on the gravel and then maybe like doing a tiny bit on the road and then increasing it, that could be a good way to kind of yeah bridge that gap between being on the turbo and then getting back out to doing what you love. And I think that's probably something that every winter people struggle with because they want to start getting out again, but they haven't been out because it's been really cold unless you live in Australia. Um, and you know you've got to kind of face that like oh I've got to get back on the road again and it's really busy and every year it seems to be more busy doesn't it it does well I'm, I'm going to commit to something so I mean I've been living vicariously through Ian Boswell and his sort of <laughs> haven't we all his, gra his, <laughs> his gravel adventures but interesting. So Ian is actually um, our guest on the podcast this week um, we're going to talk to him about some of the the rule changes um, in gravel events particularly around Unbound um I don't know if you saw, there was, uh, Ian did a podcast on this a while back on his Breakfast of Bars and it, it got picked up because um, obviously gravel is still quite new so the, so the rules and stuff are changing. I know there's actually been some controversy around the um, the rules 
um, the, the way the rules differentiate between male, the men and women's events in yeah. the um, UCI Gravel Championships, which we could talk about as well. So yeah, we could talk about EA Bar as well. Ian's got a couple of, um, well, there's a couple of revelations from that uh, interview as well. So um, yeah, a little bit of Boswell news um, in that. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Lizzie, first of all, I wanted to ask you about a couple of things, right? There's been some rule changes to okay. um, pro cycling. I'm just going to get, I'm going to do a quick quiz, really. Just get your sort of thoughts on these rules, good or bad, right? Uh, okay. So this, is this a quiz on testing me about my knowledge on them? Because <laughs> I don't think expect I, you to know them. <laughs> I don't think I've actually been uh, paying that much attention in the last month. So I think I'm not sure, not sure how well I'm going to do on this quiz. Probably about as well as I did on the cycling podcast so I'm gonna have Christmas quiz which was well I lost <laughs> well this is honestly this is I don't need, I don't need to answer it I just need to like a, you know a um whether these rule, these rule changes are good or bad okay, okay so but the first one can we can we do a quiz because I do like a challenge okay well let's make it a quiz right um what, what is the rule change <laughs> <laughs> well handlebar handlebar width has got a minimum limit uh, right that's one of the rule changes it's like I think it's no less than 35 or 34 a star, Lizzie. Well oh, done. That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which one though? It was. I think. I believe. I think it's three hundred and fifty mil. I think. Okay. Um. Yeah. And Which good, I good think change. is. I would say that's a good change. So I have seen. You know, there was a bit of a trend of having what I would call ridiculously narrow handlebars in order to aid and aerodynamics, and this not in the professional peloton. Um. This was, I would say, it was something that was kind of seen in the UK domestic peloton, and I'm sure mm-hmm. in other places as well. And it, well, it looked a bit stupid. <laughs> um, but I felt that it was kind of dangerous um, because as the, as the bars get narrower, it's more difficult to have good stability. And I don't know. I mean, there's also an argument for saying that when bars are too wide, it's also dangerous because when you're in a bunch you're much more likely to kind of clip somebody else um so i guess maybe we should mandate that all bars are between 36 and 40 centimeters um unless you have an exemption for having particularly wide shoulders um i would say it's a good thing i think that once they get too narrow it can be difficult to handle um and i just think it looks a bit silly and we need to protect the way the bikes look (laughs) <laughs> okay, so that's, so that's a good change. Okay, um, they've also changed the rules uh, when it comes to rider reach. So, um, but that's specifically in the time trial, right? The, uh, this is not. This is so. This is more. It's basically the UCI have doubled the maximum horizontal distance that the handlebar can be positioned in front of the hub from fifty mil to a hundred mil. You know what? I think I don't even know about that rule because it has just never been a problem for me. Have you never tried to really sort of have a super long stem and a super small bike so you're really stretched out or anything like that? Um, I actually did think about, so I currently ride um, 51 on my Cannondale Super 6 and I did actually think about going down to a 49 um, but I decided that this bike fits me so well that I didn't want to do that. So it's something I've thought about but not actually done um and so yeah i mean the difference in weight between the bikes is like so 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 small they're so light anyway and yeah no it's, it's i guess it's not it's never something that's like really occurred to me and i actually didn't know it was a rule so thanks for educating me tom <laughs> that's all right um the last one um the three to one ratio i mean i don't i don't know if you can have a hot take on this lizzie but um so previously components were limited in dimensions by a ratio of three to one right so 
you obviously you understand what that means. So um, the one plane, one plane couldn't essentially front, exceed the, the front, size of an opposing the plane. The front-facing plane. The, sorry, the, yes. the sideways-facing plane couldn't be more than three times longer than the front-facing plane. So that you basically couldn't add fairings to your bike. I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah, that's right. But they've changed that now. So basically, essentially, like the, your cockpit, all it needs to do is fit inside a box that they, the UCI, have created. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good I, or bad? I've, I've got a feeling that the three to one limit changed a while back, or oh, maybe did it? that it's. I know. I sh- now I feel like an idiot, and I should really have done my research. So please do. Please do write in and tell us. Um, or maybe it was a four to one limit, and then it's now a three to one. Um, but it did it did change quite a few years ago. Um, but are you saying that limit's been scrapped for the cockpit now? Yeah, it's been scrapped. So essentially, it's just now only like, for the cockpit. The co- presumably, uh, I th- I believe. Let me let me see. Because otherwise, um, we'd be having like solid... oh yeah, just 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 for handlebars and stems. Yeah, you were yeah. right. Otherwise, yeah. we'd be having triathlon style fairings on our time trial bikes. We'd mm. be having like solid solid bikes uh we'd be having some pretty wild things um yeah uh good thing or bad thing well i mean for me it's good because obviously i think it frees up what designers can do a little bit you know what i mean and, and i think the pace of changing bikes is often a bit slow because of limits like that so i, I you know for me it's a, it's a plus well as long as it's safe well the thing is tom you were telling me before the show how you want to scrap time trial bikes altogether i do i do listen so maybe that it's time not trial. a good thing or a bad thing maybe it's just an irrelevant thing because maybe in two years time we're not even going to have time trial bikes anymore well listen obviously like i've seen time trial bikes done on road bikes before we used to see it quite a lot in sort of in the early race in south america because teams couldn't take time trial bikes over there and there are some domestic teams who don't have time trial bikes but we saw it at Tour Down Under, and I've got to say, it's sort of one of the most it's one of the, it's the most fun I've had watching a time trial. I loved seeing mm. the the limits placed on what they could do and how people played with that. You know, there were some extreme handlebar positions, uh, disc wheels on road bikes look rad. You know, so I, I listen. <laughs> I'm all for I'm all for completely scrapping the time trial bike. You know, so yeah, this is the prologue of the Tour Down Under, which was you know it's like a five minute race, right? So yeah. had teams have been able to ride it on on traditional time trial bikes then they would have been shipping god knows how many time trial bikes each rider's got to have two um you know shipping all of those across the world so firstly it's more environmentally friendly not Mm -hmm. to have a time trial bike um i do think it levels the playing field especially if um a race like tour down under where you may have more australian teams um and I I do think it's more interesting as well, especially for a prologue. Um, I think it's actually safer, probably as well. I think so, definitely. Because you you're so much closer to the brakes, um, and you're on a more familiar bike in general that you spend yeah. much more time on, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, I would say I like I wouldn't be adverse to completely scrapping the time trial bike. I actually really like my time trial bike. I enjoy spending time on it. Not that I have for the last two years. Um, <laughs> I used to enjoy <laughs> spending time on it. Um, I love the speed of it, but I think that's, I don't know. Do you, do you think that they're becoming irrelevant? I, d- I don't know. I mean, I think they maybe. I can't say they're becoming irrelevant because you look at things like Kona and, you know, well, Ironman, yeah. where okay. their bikes are extreme and they're within, amazing. Within professionals, within professional road cycling. Potentially. I mean, listen, you, you, you talk about it to a dedicated sort of TT specialist and obviously they're not going to want to get rid of their TT bike because they're no. so comfortable on it. 
they can handle the position. They I do think it probably bring, brings more riders into play. Uh. In you know, and also it's fairer for teams with different budget because we know yeah exactly that the quality of time trial bikes probably varies much more than the quality of just the the ordinary bikes. The, the differences the, are massive. It's more than that. It's the amount of time that you can spend on the research on it, mm. and spending time in a wind tunnel is incredibly expensive. It's difficult. Um, it requires resources in order to get you there. It requires money to. Um, you know, to like to hire the wind tunnel in order to hire the right person to actually understand the data. Because there's one thing going to the wind tunnel and it's one thing actually like knowing the data that you're looking at and knowing mm. how to interpret it, knowing what to do in the wind tunnel in order to make you faster. Um, and I, I really love that side. I find it really interesting the way people find the gains, but it does make it a lot more unfair. And, you know, when you're going into a time trial, okay, perhaps we're going to say like we always know who wins but then Tobias Foss won the world championships and none of us predicted that no. um, but I think like, generally speaking you've got a much narrower number of people who can win it partly because of the resources that it requires in order to be really good it requires those resources in the first place and then it also requires a hell of a lot of dedication and time and um, you know strength work and you know specific stuff to time trialing and, and that's fine like that's different that's about dedication but I'm talking here purely about the like the financial aspect of it and the fact that teams like Yumbo Visma teams like Ineos they can afford to take their riders into mm. the wind tunnel do do that and the other teams can't so um, perhaps perhaps what we're not what we're saying is like we shouldn't scrap time trial bikes altogether but we no, should I am have, saying we that. Have, I am definitely okay, saying that. Okay, okay, you're saying that. I'm saying perhaps we should have more road bike time trials. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm into that compromise. What would you do, Lizzie? By the way, if you if you were doing a time trial on your road bike, um, what would be your go-to changes straight away? Um, shifters. Put the shifters like you'd angle the shifters in so that you can then rest your arms on the handlebar but be within the UCI rule which says that you know got my so tape measure out you have to have at least one finger on the um you know on the shifters so i would do that um obviously disc wheel disc wheel skin suit um aero helmet very very easy games and then I just ride really hard. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean that's the... what it boils down to, right? You know, yeah, bike, run hard. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, and I speak, you know, speak this one. I've done a lot of time trials on my road bike. Um, I've only ever done time trials on my road bike, and uh, you know, I love it. I absolutely, I, I would, you know, I absolutely love. I, I love doing that sort of stuff. I mean, I when I did time trials, I'd, you know, I would pick sort of ones that were suitable to a road bike. You know, I wouldn't do a flat, you know, a road, for instance. Uh. Um. But yeah, no, I, I want to. See, I definitely um, want to see more of it on a bike tip, Lizzie. I'm going to be. Um, I'm going to before we get onto your Boswell. I'm going to turn into Columbo again. Um, okay. I I did see that there was a few riders connected to uh, EF Education, and they had been posting pictures of this uh, this mysterious new bike. I think it had sort of is it Lab Seventy One marked on it. Um, I just wonder if you knew anything about this new bike Lizzie at all I have no idea what you're talking about Tom not what there's not one in your kitchen there no. is definitely not one in my kitchen no <laughs> you're not going to a you're not going to an event to talk about it at any I point definitely in the kitchen, cannot no. see one from where I'm sat and they're definitely not all over uh, the 
the team's <laughs> social medias. Um, no, well, you know, I I can't watch I can't this say anything. <laughs> I can't say anything, but Cannondale, you may have seen a Cannondale bike out there that may not be released in other places yet. And I may be going to Girona in a couple of weeks to spend a week with Cannondale. So um, you can put... You can Listen, put... I've... The pictures I've seen on social media look lovely, and I was just wondering if you'd posted those pictures, but I was going to accuse you of posting them, Lizzie. I, no, I don't think it was you who leaked it. <laughs> don't accuse me of anything. No, I mean, um, yes, there there has been, you know, the team is obviously racing on a bike at the Tour Down Under, and that's available to see in photos, um, and I can't tell you anything about it, but it's a very nice bike, and it's very fast. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I'm going to be spending some time in Cannondale with Toronto in a couple of weeks, uh, and I'm very excited about it. So you will be hearing more about it very soon. Very well, soon. There's a lot time. of people. There's a lot of people who want answers. They want to know what the iterate, what the variations of that frame are. They want to know what's changed about it, and they want to know what Lab 71 means. So um, the well, Tom, sooner you, you can answer that, the better. Stop adding Lab 71 and Lab 71 and making 64. <laughs> Good, yeah, yeah. I have put two and I have put seventy-one and seventy-one together, haven't I? Um, well, Lizzie, listen, I'm going to take I'm going to take the pressure off now, and uh, after this, we'll uh, hear from Ian Boswell. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. And now you can wear the Super Sapiens Energy Band, the first and only wearable that can display real-time glucose data directly from Abbott's LibreSense Glucose Sport Biosensor. The Super Sapiens Energy Band is available at supersapiens.com for €159. Euros. Thanks to Super Sapiens. And um, I'm going to start using one of those energy bands because my plan this year is to get back out on the road. Well, actually get back out on the gravel because that's going to be my way back into doing more outdoor cycling. I've been on the turbo for the last few years where you don't normally face the bonk, but I think when I extend my rides, I'll be facing that uh, that dreaded phenomenon. And um, I'm really intrigued to know a bit more about how my body responds to the nutrition that I give it or don't give it. So yeah, so I'm going to... Um, I'm going to get an energy band, I'm going to start using one, and, um, well, I'll probably report back here. To find out more about the Super Sapiens energy band and all the products they do and their technology, go to supersapiens.com. All right, well, uh, Ian, um, first of all, um, great to see you. Uh, I heard your trip to Mississippi. For your, is that your first gravel event of the year, your season starter? It was. I mean, I think that's the fairly earliest in the year i've ever raced a bike it was what the 6th of january which is early i think on all accounts i mean the world tour season hasn't started and yeah so that was that was my first event of the year and i think the earliest i've ever raced a bike well so you're you're people now kind of associate I mean, you know this i think but people associate you now with with gravel you know you're part of that sort of burgeoning uh u.s scene but there's there's sort of different lanes or different tiers to, to the kind of gravel events. And we can, we've seen how the top tier is changing. But you in Mississippi, that was a very much more of a, an underground event. Is that where you're sort of looking to go this year? Um, you know, I'll, I'll still do the big events, you know, the Unbounds and, you know, SBTs and whatnot. I mean, I guess it's funny. I recently had a conversation about this, how it is 
changing a lot right now, you know, especially with the UCI coming in and, you know, world tour riders doing it. And I guess, you know, when I, you know, did my first, you know, couple races, I was a retired world tour rider and that's kind of how it, how it started. Um, you know, I do find myself in a really funny place in the sense that, you know, gravel has been around now, you know, you look at events like unbound and like the, the more prestigious and kind of, you know, heritage events, they've been around for like 10, 12 years. And, I sometimes get asked like my perspective on how it's changed, or I, I also sometimes give my perspective on how it's changed. Um, but I've really only seen two and a half years of gravel, which is funny, you know, and it's changed so much in those two and a half years. But and if you were to go back and, you know, speak with, you know, Dan Hughes, who won the first edition of Unbound when it was 12 people, it's like, you know, he messaged me after a podcast I did with, with Ted King. He's like, oh man, it's so funny to listen to you and Ted talk about how much gravel has changed. Like, what about his perspective? Um, which, you know, it's cool to see things evolve and to be part of that evolution. But as far as like events, you know, I think that's the beauty of the space in gravel at the moment is you do have these, you know, big prestigious events that are covered by, you know, international media. And then you have this event in, in Mississippi where there's 300 people. Most people are within, you know, a two hour drive. And a couple of people travel from, you know, outside the area on a, on a plane or whatnot. Um, but I just, I just, I find that so beautiful still that we have that kind of, you said those different lanes of, of gravel events. So what, when you turn up to a gravel event these days, like, do you kind of, do you now know what to expect? Do you now know what everyone's going to be using, how everyone's going to be treating it or, or, cause it, it feels like it's, it's become not, not sort of uniform, but there's kind of like a, sort of a, a definition now of what a gravel race looks like. It's definitely more defined. Um, you know, you know, you if you're going to be racing it, you want to try to be closer to the front. You might need to be there early so you get, you know, you don't start at the back of the bunch. But it's really, you know, an event like Unbound, you know, the night before, you know, even I guess weeks before, I'm meticulously like thinking like when I pack, okay, what do I need to pack? What do I need spare? Do I have, you know, new sealant in my tires? Do I have, you know plugs and everything accessible and you know you, it's very strategic and you know this event in mississippi because we're in the, the middle of winter here in vermont i hadn't ridden the bike that i rode since october and i was like oh man like what and i was like you know what whatever <laughs> the bike's gonna be fine it's got air in the tires the chain's clean um you know and i showed up to the start line 15 minutes before the race you know pack a pickup was the day before because it was a smaller event it almost at the start almost feels more like a group ride. You kind of have that like, oh, I started with an extra vest and you know arm warmers. Oh well, I'll just you know take them off and you know shove them up my my jersey for the race. And so it's there's definitely a difference in how you approach the different events. You know, there's a lot more, especially for the people racing. I guess even people who are participating. You know, when you have four thousand people on the start line of Emporia, Kansas, you feel everyone's anxiety. But when you're on a start line of, you know, 60 people in Mississippi, you know, there was 300 people in the event, but there was staggered starts based off the distance. It feels like a group ride, and which is which is really cool. You know, of course, at some point, you know, the race gets hard and it breaks up and you kind of get to test yourself. But there's very much this sense of like kind of feeling the environment, if that makes sense. You know, in, in the big events, it's hard to judge what's going to happen just because there's so many people and, you know, it's much more international now. And so there's people on the start line who have the horsepower, but you maybe don't know who they are. You don't know, you know, what their past, you know, kind of results are, their strengths, um, which is, you know, which is actually kind of unique as well to gravel. Because even you look at world tour racing, you know, most of the people in the peloton, you know, through race radio, you know, the director will come through and say, hey, there's, you know, one rider on Kofidis and one rider from, you know, a continental team. And you're like, oh, cool. We can give them 
three or four minutes. But in gravel at the moment, there's you, there's no radios. So in, in the race sense, you know, everything's kind of still, people are still learning who's who. You know, there's some names that everyone knows, but there's kind of an influx of riders who have come to come to gravel that, you know, aren't as well known as, you know, people would know each other in the world tour. Well, I think I think what um, what amazes me is is how many of these events are. You know, you seem to be at a race or could be at a race um, every weekend. But the the big chat, I think, what I was trying to get at earlier was that kind of there's this kind of um, conflict between the spirit of gravel and the competition of gravel, isn't there? Um, and well, I guess we'll talk about that. But for this season, then, I mean, on the tech side of things, because I mean, that's what we'll talk about. There's been some sort of tech changes or some rule changes to some of the events. What are you? Um, what are you racing this year? What's your setup as far like? as events? As, bikes, well, no, your setup, your bikes. bike. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm this year. I, I most events I'll be riding the the new Diverge STR, which has you know the the future shock in the front, but also has the the rear future shock. So thirty mils of of travel on the rear end which I raced for the first time in, in Mississippi. And I was like, wow, you know, especially as I get a bit older and, you know, you start, your back starts to hurt a little bit. I'm like, this is really smooth, you know, and it's, you know, it's more, uh, more similar to maybe like, you know, the, as far as, you know, having the suspension in the front and the back, like it, you notice it a lot on a rougher road, you know, cause I, I get asked probably more than any, the number one question I get is what tires are you riding? you know, the second question is, you know, what bike are you riding? And when you look at the kind of the industry, you know, if you even go back two years, most bike brands had one bike, like this is our gravel bike or some brands. Okay. This is our cross bike, but now it's our gravel bike. But you look at it now, you know, you look, and I work with specialized and you look at the range of bikes, like, you know, they have kind of three very distinct gravel bikes. You know, there's the, the crux, which is a cross bike and a gravel bike. And it's super light. There's the Diverge, which has this, you know, the Future Shock in the front. And now there's the Future, the Diverge STR, which has, you know, both front and rear, you know, kind of suspension. And I think it's kind of, it's kind of like how mountain biking evolved. You know, when people first got a mountain bike, they got one bike. And now, you know, cool, here's my trail bike. Here's my downhill bike. Here's my enduro bike. And I think bikes are becoming more adaptable to the wide range of, of courses. And this is something that, you know, Pete Stetna mentioned to me yesterday was that, when you do a climb in the Alps or you do a climb in the Pyrenees or you do a climb in Colorado, they're all, I mean, they're different. The scenery is different. The altitude's different, but you're, the surface is kind of all the same. And I think that's one of the beauties of gravel events is the like geology everywhere is different. You know, even within one course, you might have different surface, different rocks, different, you know, it's hard pack, it's loose. And so you really are getting like a sense of like the geographical, formation of a place which is which is really cool to see you know even in an event like unbound you know a couple years they go north and a couple years they go south they alternate every two years and the courses are completely different all within you know 200 miles of each other even within one loop you know that you kind of change change areas which is which is fascinating um but that'll be my bike of choice this year um i do most often uh, like I said, the most often question I get is what tires I'm riding. And that's still going to be the the Pathfinder uh, Pro in 42 millimeter. Um, it seems to be like it's a tire doesn't really wear out. It's really good for puncture protection. It's fast. It's good on almost every course. Um, and it's also just, it's what I've, it's what I've kind of used since I came to gravel. I'm really familiar and comfortable with the tire. And, you know, obviously, you know, Lawrence Tendam's on it and quite a few other riders are on it as well. So it's kind of been tested and proven and, you know, when I look at my 
equipment. I think the thing I look for most is like durability. You know, especially as, you know, the races become faster, people are looking at, okay, what's the most aero? What's the lightest? Those things do help your, you know, speed. But like one thing that's going to slow you down more than anything is sitting on the side of the road with a flat tire or something broken. So, you know, so I think when you look at your setup, like you can buy light stuff, but having durable, especially tires and, you know, putting in enough sealant, making sure, you know, everything's tight on your bike, um, you know, everything's kind of, you know, at least in reasonable condition, especially, you know, checking, make sure you have a new pair of brake pads in, because if it does start to rain, you know, you can wear through a pair of brake pads pretty quickly. Um, you know, those things are probably going to make the biggest impact on having a successful day out there versus, you know, saving a couple hundred grams or, you know, having a tire that's maybe slightly faster rolling on, you know, gravel versus, you know, sitting on the side of the road with a flat. I was, I was fascinated by your, your conversation, particularly with uh, Ted King and the and the organisers of, of Unbound, um, you know, looking at the, the changes to gravel and the future of gravel and obviously the, the, the kind of the fundamental changes that have been made um, to to the rules for, for Unbound. I mean, so let's, let's probably also sort of go back and say what the changes are at Unbound and whether you think other events will, will follow and they'll become this kind of, you know, defined set of rules for for gravel events. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so Unbound, you know, is the most known, the most prestigious gravel event. You know, I guess it's it's kind of the Tour de France of, of gravel. Um, there have been very few rules in the past. You know, there are some, you know, you need a helmet, you know, you have to have someone at an aid station, and you're supposed to have lights on the front and the back of your bike, regardless of how long you think you're going to take. This year, they added two rules. Well, I guess one rule and one kind of... Um, change to how it starts so the the change would be that the the pro or elite riders are going to be in their own corral at the front of the race and they're going to be staggered starts with the men starting the elite men starting and then two minutes after the elite women and then i think eight eight or ten minutes after that the the mass participation you know age groupers and you know people who are just riding for fun will start after that um the other rule change was the banning of time trail bars, arrow bars for just the elite category. So the elite men and the elite women, um, arrow bars were, you know, are no longer allowed. Um, let's, I guess, where do we want to start here? Let's start with the, the easy well, one, I mean, um, yeah. which is, <laughs> yeah, I guess the easy one would be, you know, the, the separation of the start and, you know, it receives some pushback from people because typically and traditionally, you know, unbound, there is a different start time for like the 100 mile event, you know, the 350, the 200, the 50 mile event, but the 200 is kind of the the main event. And for the start of that, you'll have, I think like 2000 to 3000 people on the start line in downtown Emporia at 6:45 in the morning, which does bring this really unique energy. It also allows, you know, the weekend warrior to be on the start line with the pros and to, you know, you know, get to the front of the bunch and, you know, go home and say, Hey, you know, for the first three miles, I was leading the whole race, which is a really cool opportunity. And I think that's one of the things I loved initially about gravels that it kind of broke down these barriers of categorizing riders, you know, where someone could be their first gravel event, they could go to unbound, they could train and they could win without having ever done a bike race before that. That was a, a real possibility, you know, unlikely, but it was a possibility that someone trained hard you know, they knew what they were doing and they won unbound and had never done a bike race before. That was really cool. So this year with the staggered start, um, you do need to apply to be part of the elite fields. And and that was mostly brought into play just for safety because there have been a lot of crashes 
in the first, you know, 20, 30 miles of the race, like a lot, like a ton of crashes. You know, you think if someone breaks at the front, the person in 2000th position is coming to a complete stop, <laughs> you know? So it's, yeah. and, um, you know, and I think as you see the change for, especially for the elite riders, you know, there are people, this is their job now, you know, this is their, this is their career. And I think that for those athletes to potentially be taken out of the race or be involved in a pileup or have a mechanical because of crash, because there's a giant, you know, group of people. And not to say that the people who are, you know, racing the, you know, amateur categories, the age group categories shouldn't be there. And I, I'm not as worried about this for me, you know, cause I had an opportunity to come through road cycling, which was very categorized. Um, but I, th- I think for those riders who this is their opportunity in cycling for them to be potentially taken out of a race because some, you know, stupid crash, because it's just, it's just chaos. You know, that wasn't, it's not ideal, <laughs> you know? Um, but there is like some, some pushback on that. You know, I think it's a great idea. It also allows, I think the biggest change, it allows the women's race to kind of be able to shake out their category before, you know, cause you think about last year, you know, the women started amongst, you know, 2,500 other riders and how the heck do you know where your competition is? You know, and for the women's race, you know, it's just as prestigious mm. for them as it is for the men. And, you know, you get 70 miles in, you don't know if you're in first position or 10th position, you know, cause there's so many people across the road, you just, you lose track of people. Um, it also is going to allow the race to actually document the women's race a little bit better, you know, as gravel becomes more, kind of, you know, publicized, it allows for, you know, a camera, m- motorbike, wh- whatnot to be in front of the women's race to document that. On For the amateur and weekend warrior, it also allows them to race their own race. They don't get sucked into this pro race of riding way too hard for the first 30 miles to try to keep up with the front group and then blow up and, you know, maybe have crashes of their own. So I think overall, it will make the race a lot safer. Um, you know, and I mentioned this in the podcast, I give a lot of credit to Unbound for at least ex- trying it and experimenting, yeah. you know, because as you said, every race is different at the moment. You know, every race you show up to is different. And there's been a lot of talk internally and, you know, in the media about gravel racing and the spirit of gravel and for the biggest race to come out and say, hey, we're going to try something new. And, you know, they are fully aware that maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but they're willing to try it. Um, and I think what they're kind of asking for is that everyone is understanding that this is kind of an experiment um the aero bars one maybe it's actually now this is easier. where we're talking the aero bars <laughs> listen if it, if it was me and I'm, I'm at the front of a race the last thing i want to be doing is sprinting with with someone with aero bars um i don't even often want to be on a course with someone in aero, in aero bars with aero bars so um what, what's your thoughts on that i mean i have i have always just personally been uh strongly against them you know i mm. I never even liked time trial bikes. So, you know, to then, I mean, I, I had no desire to ride in, in aero bars and extensions. Um, no, have you no. ever ridden, have you ever ridden in aero bars? I've, I've used them a little bit. Very, um, I mean, very rarely did I need to ride a time trial. In fact, you know, just watching um, uh, Tour Down Under, it was watching the prologue the other day and uh, just seeing them doing it on adapted road bikes. I just thought, yeah, that's much more, much more my speed and much more what I want to see. And much more, it feels much more close to cycling because time trialing has often felt like really, really far removed from what we do, even though it's, 
in the same sport. Um, so yeah, so I mean, but obviously I've been on club rides where a rider's just turned up on his TT bike or something like that. And I've never, ever felt comfortable um, being around it at all. Yeah, I mean, and I guess, you know, the the interesting thing is unbound ban aerobars bars for the elite riders, but not for age groupers. Um, and, you know, when, if we go back, you know, five years, you know, 10 years, 12 years to the first unbound, it was very much a race of survival. You know, it's kind of like when you look at the first, you know, ultra marathon, it was like, these people are right. stupid. They're like, yeah. the, the, goal, the goal was just to make it to the finish line. There was no like winner or loser. It was like, it was an accomplishment to finish the race. And for some people, arrow bars are potentially the difference between finishing within time cut and not finishing. Now, I don't think for those folks, it's as much the arrow advantage. I think it's a different position on the bike to, to rest and relax, you know, to be maybe more comfortable on a long straight road. But when you look at the elite races, they have become highly competitive. Um, and, you know, the last two years at Unbound, you know, in 2021, Lawrence and I came to a sprint finish. This past year, there was a five-person bunch finish. As the level goes up, I think there's going to be more bunch finishes. So it's like, you know, where do aero bars play in that role? You know, we're no longer trying to finish you know, before sunset, we're finishing and we're averaging 21 miles an hour. You know, it's a, it's a full on road race on, on gravel, on gravel bikes. And there's no other discipline of, of cycling that allows aero bars in a mass start event. Um, and I, there was been, there was a lot of discussion last year on like an email chain kind of put together by, by Pete Stetna actually kind of around, like he, you know, put 30 riders on this chain about, you know, Hey guys, let's all not ride aero bars. But as I said earlier, there are so many people in, kind of the elite category now that you don't know you know people coming over from the uk and germany and australia and you you, you don't really know how to reach them you don't even know that they're coming potentially and so they do show up with arrow bars and then there was this last minute panic last year of you know people like oh i'm gonna put them on now which i you know would never do um, i just i really don't think they're they don't have a place in in you know i mean personally if other people want to use them that's their choice i don't think it's safe when people are like in the middle of the pack on a dirt road in aero bars if you're by yourself that's a risk you're willing to take but more so now than ever the group of riders are going to be in a peloton and people are are going to be i mean we even saw it toward an under we saw um bill bow's time trial his extension you know his hoods were like bent in. i'm like this is ridiculous you know it's like because people are caught on to the advantages of aerodynamics people even within the rules of okay no tt bikes okay well what can i do to my bike to make it you know, the most arrow possible. Um, people are always looking for an advantage. And I think this, this rule that was made, you know, hopefully keeps things a bit safer. Hopefully it levels the playing field a little bit amongst kind of, you know, pro riders. But I think more than anything, it, it kind of just put a debate to bed. It's just like, Hey, you know what? The event made a rule and now no one, there's no discussion. There's no arrow bars. Let's, you know, let's focus. There'll be another issue this year. I'm sure there'll be, hydration packs or you know who knows what it is but there's, there's always going to be something as as the sport continues to find its way for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call click granger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done.
With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. I don't know whether you can speak about this because I know there's something coming up and probably off the record, but I know you've got a mountain bike now. So a little bit of mountain biking in your future. Yes. Yeah. I am signed up for Cape Epic with, Oh, you can uh, talk about it. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. With, with Mitch Docker. Um, so we are going to podcast duo are going to head down to, to, uh, South Africa in end of March coming up here quickly. Um, and we don't know anything about the event. <laughs> I mean, we, we do, but it's like, I, at first I was like, Oh, it's a five day stage race. And then I think I saw yesterday it's eight days. I'm like, Oh wow, this is actually a big, <laughs> this is a big mountain bike race. Yeah, first um, bike race, and know how many days you're going to be. Racing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I mean, it's really cool to, you know, come together with Mitch at Ryder, you know, I know fairly well and actually we kind of have become closer since both contributing to the cycling podcast of the Tour de France last, last summer, you know, cause I was, I was listening to obviously when he was contributing, he was listening to when I was contributing and he reached out and was like, Hey, let's go to Cape Epic. Let's do it together. We can put together some episodes. Let's go and, you know, race, but have fun. Um, I think especially on the mountain bike side for me, more than the gravel side, it is about having fun. Cause I'm not, a skilled mountain biker at all. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's an adventure. And I think it's, you know, it's really cool to see, I mean, a lot of retired pro cyclists are like finding unique ways to kind of continue their career. And it's really, you know, it's inspiring to me to see a lot of retired riders still love riding their bike. Mm. You know, I knew a lot of riders from my early days at sky that they retired and they didn't ride a bike anymore. I'm like, that's sad. Like cycling is such a beautiful sport. And the beauty of it is that you can do it for your whole life. You know, if you play American football in college, you probably will never play tackle football again. You know, you don't no, you, see many. You, you, lose, you lose a playoff game and that's your, that's your career done, isn't it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's so rough, you know. And, and the beauty of cycling is you can be, you know, at Unbound. You could be, you know, there was a gentleman last year who was 84 years old on the start line. It's like, that's awesome. You know, I, I don't know if I'd want to be doing Unbound when I'm 84, but I hope I'm still riding a bike when I'm that age. Um, so it's, it's been cool to see kind of riders continue to find ways to you know love riding their bike in terms of preparation for the for the race then um you say you got you guys know nothing are you going to kind of are you taking it really seriously you know you're looking into every aspect of it or is this going to be uh, firstly are you both on the same level when it comes to what your ambitions are i believe so mitch is, mitch had shared with me that he's been riding about if he does a 10 hour week, then he's on a big training week. So, okay, um, good. I assume, yeah, <laughs> I also, you know, we're in the middle of winter here in Vermont. So I did, I did, um, actually go for my first mountain bike ride in 15 years, uh, wow. down in Hudson Valley in New York. They didn't have snow down there. So I went mountain biking. I'm doing a mountain bike event in Georgia this coming weekend, which will be my first mountain bike race. I think since I was 14 or 15, um, which is cool. I mean, we're, we're on the same page as far as like, Hey, let's go and you know, ride hard, but have fun. And, you know, I think it is, it is an event that I think caters itself to kind of the experience. You know, you're, you're at a campground, you, there's like communal eating, you know, obviously the people who take it serious, take it really serious. You know, the, the former winners of the events are the best mountain bikers in the world. Yeah. And, you know, I guess what's been super eye opening to me doing this ride last weekend where I realized I'm pretty terrible on technical trails is how similar it 
I mean, it's the same sport. It's still cycling. You're still pedaling and turning the handlebars. But technically, it's so much different. You know, it's like nothing you've experienced on a road bike or, you know, a gravel bike, which is it's really fun to be horrible at something again. You know, I was with a buddy who's a pretty decent mountain biker, and I was like walking, you know, a third of what we rode. <laughs> you know, and he's just, he's like, yeah, we're just going pretty easy. I'm like, well, this isn't easy for me. Yeah. Um, I do know that Cape Epic's not the most technical course, but there still will be you know i'm sure some obstacles that that challenge us technically i think if you ride your bike for eight days there's going to be something that challenges you somewhere along the way i reckon um i think i think one of my agendas here in talking to you in because obviously you and i both have have young kids right um and i'm sort of living my life vicariously through you because you are doing pretty much everything that i want to be doing and i think my my question is how, how are you still doing it how are you doing it man how are you getting away to these weekends Oof. Uh, my wife is amazing. I will okay. say that. Um, Good. You know, I mean, there's also this, my wife also knows what I turn into if I'm not exercising. You know, if I'm not getting out and riding, sometimes I turn into, I don't say a monster, but I can't I imagine become, that. <laughs> what, what is a monster, Ian? Like, what's, what is I that? Just, I do become maybe just more antsy and more, you know, yeah, just irritated if I can't if I can't exercise. You know, it's such an yeah. important part of my life. Whether it's you know this morning I'm at backcountry skiing or going for a run, whatever it may be, just doing something. Um, you know, I guess my I still wife, don't know how you get up to it. People, if I message it, you like, and I can message you at sort of you know eight or nine o'clock in the morning my time, and I know you're five or six hours behind. Normally you're up doing something. So I mean, yeah, I, again, and that's something I don't know how you do with having a child i've got no idea where that energy comes from i mean i love the mornings i also go to bed okay. early which is the middle of the night right. so you're probably i'm in bed i'm in bed early um right you know it's something and i don't know how sustainable it is you know i guess our daughter's 13 months old now so she's she's definitely in the last like two months started to become more you know active she's not napping all day you know she's walking around now she's starting to talk and so it becomes harder to leave and you know becomes more of a burden on my wife if i do leave for for a weekend um so we'll see how much longer i can do this like i'm doing you know it's i want to it's i want to do this i mean i'm really i'm this year i'm determined to like get back out there you know i, I basically ride mostly most on the turbo these days on my on my kicker but um i the the, the you know we are trying to emulate what's happening in the States. You know, there's gravel events popping up and I want to be one of these, you know, pack the kids away in a van for the weekend and, and, and go to the events. Funny, I mean, I'm just so out, you know, like five years after having my first child, I'm just so out of the habit. It's, and it's quite sort of, it's quite difficult to unpick how you get back into it. You know what I mean? It's, um, it's tricky. It is. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's probably harder because I guess my dad went through the same thing. When my brother and I were born, you know, he used to race professionally in triathlon and did road racing before Oh, that. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, but from ages, you know, I guess from our birth until we were 12, he didn't really participate in endurance sports. But then when we got into it, then he got back into it. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. So I feel like maybe there, I'm in this unique window now where... Yeah, enjoy the it's window. Still <laughs> yeah, it's still normal for our, like, our lifestyle and our family for me yeah. to be doing these things. But yeah, as our daughter becomes more active, that may change. What that? Well, what other than Cape Epic? Then I mean, um, well, people should check out um, your podcast, by the way. And they should, you know, if you're interested in, in the gravel world, um, you know, you cover it all. I, I, the, the episode on the Mississippi gravel and grits, you know, fantastic. I just 
the, the, the accents, the um, sense of place, it's beautiful. Um, but what are your highlights other than Cape Epic coming up? Um, I will go back to, to Unbound. Um, so that's kind of like, if from a performance standpoint, that's kind of like, you know, the rate, if I was to be fit at one race and have a clean run in it, that would be, that would be the event. Yeah. Um, I actually am looking at coming over to Europe for Flanders gravel, which I think is the first weekend of July. Um, I've heard great things about it. It's like, it's essentially tour of Flanders, but off road and there's like camping and it's a whole weekend event. And outside of that, a lot of this same events that I've done, you know, SBT, um, I'm heading out to Bend for an event. You know, that's where I grew up. And so my mom's there. Yeah. It's like a three-day gravel stage race so I can, you know, bring our daughter and wife out and we can, you know, see my family out in, out in Oregon. But, you know, I, I really don't actually do that many events. You know, it's kind of funny that I've, you know, kind of become known as a gravel racer when I've done even still maybe 15 events in since 2020. <laughs> you know, so it's not that many. <laughs> Seriously, um, is that it? Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so it's it's not a ton. You know, I've done, you know, maybe seven events a year. Um, maybe some stuff locally here in Vermont. You know, I, I guess I that also keeps it fun for me when I kind of look forward to events and I'm not, you know, getting burnt out from – because the travel, as I get older and as I have a kid, you know, the travel really takes its toll. You know, it's – as you said, I like waking up early, but early mornings, late nights, traveling, airplanes, packing bikes, unpacking bikes um, – that gets tiring. So, you know, anytime I can kind of, you know, find events close to home that I can drive to, I'll kind of, you know, give those, give those events priority. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, and I think, you know, this will, you know, I mean, I should kind of announce this here, I guess. I think this might be my last year, like racing per se, you know, where I'm like taking the event serious. I got the um, sense of that actually from listening to you and I, I you, you spent a little bit more time talking about the back of races and how much fun it is at the back of the race. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boz is definitely preparing himself. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, some of the friends who I've shared that with are like, oh no, like you'll, you'll always be racing. Maybe I will always ride hard, but I think it's with the level of racing, it's starting to feel a lot like the commitment is starting to feel a lot like racing professionally on the road. We're like, oh, you need to go to a training camp or you need to do, you know, you know, focus on all these small details, which is great. And I think that's an awesome opportunity for people to make a career out of it. But I think in 2024, I would love to explore some more, you know, I'd love to come over to the UK for the dirty reaver. I was actually looking yes. at coming this yeah. year, but it's, it's just a little, I mean, I can only pick so many trips a year with, with the little one. And that was one I was like, I'd love to, you know, maybe coming over next year doing that. You know, there's some events here in the U S you know, like the Mississippi stuff, you know, I've heard Finland's awesome, you know, Iceland, you know, maybe some of these more kind of bucket list trips where you can, you know, go ride hard, but enjoy. And there's not pressure or expectation to be kind of a, you know, the marquee rider at the event who's, you know, expected to win it. Yeah, but I suppose in 2024, if people are sort of, well, better watch what Ian Boswell does. If they're marking you, they're going to be in for a very bad race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Hang on. it's funny. He's just, loading yeah. up on, he's just loading up on beers and grit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I had the opportunity last year. I got COVID during the second part of the season and, and really didn't race much after after Unbound. Um, so I got to experience that and see kind of the other side of events. You know, I, at SBT, I rode in the, you know, started behind everyone with e-bike and panniers and kind of rode neutral support. I was like, wow, there's like a lot of people having a lot of fun. And not that ra- racing is still fun, but it was cool to see the the contrast of, you know, how different people participate at these events. You know, what people are doing at the front, what people are doing at the back, completely opposite 
but they're all at the same event and they're all, you know, usually in, in one way or another, you know, kind of gathering at the finish line and celebrating, which is really cool. So I think there's a lot of space for any athlete to participate, whether they're a racer, recreational rider to kind of come together and, and enjoy that. And that's, I guess my hope for the sport would be that that isn't lost, you know, that the, the sense of everyone being there. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. There's a couple of things uh, Ian said. Obviously, you know, he spoke about some, some rule changes which we could talk about um, and the fact that he's possibly going to sort of semi-retire once more, you know, mm. move, to the back, move into the back of the bunch. But he did tell us also that um, uh, he got a plan with Mitch Docker to ride Cape Epic. Now, I did hear about... How exciting, did, You did mention it? Cape Epic. So that's, that's a real cycling podcast, you know, it, team. I, I was going to say, because you've mentioned before that Cape Epic has been nominally on a programme. Oh, this is a good it, idea, Tom. If, so are we going to have ride... a women's cycling podcast team? Well, I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say, you've look, Ian's picked Mitch, or Mitch has picked Ian. You're going to ride it from the rest of the pool of the cycling podcast. <laughs> who, are you gonna, who are you picking to be your partner? I'm, well, this is a very small me. pool of talent. I... <laughs> you know what? I, I actually, actually sprung to mind straight away and who I would pick... Um, is Simon Gill, but the problem with Simon Gill is he's still got a broken leg. Um, <laughs> yes. So yeah. I think perhaps... good, to dra- good to draft behind Simon because he's massive. <laughs> he is. He's tall. really tall. Yeah, and he's into adventure, kind of adventure riding, and he was going to ride. I think he'd signed himself up for GB uh, Juro last year, and he never, never, never did it. Did you not hear Tordecos? He got it all. He got it so wrong with those dis- those those you know deep section wheels. I mean, <laughs> come on, you can't trust him. No way. Yeah, but he'd have he'd have me there, so I'd you know I'd whack him into shape. Now I think well, who have I got to choose from? Francois, you. I mean, I, w- I mean, Lionel. I was going to pick Fra- I was going to pick Francois purely for the for the conversation. I Orla, think. Rose. Um, well, I guess if we had a purely women's team, I. Maybe I'd pick Anna Marie Rook, who we did uh, yeah. who we did the Tour de France fan coverage with. Uh, but no, I think Simon Gill. Yeah, and Simon, twenty twenty four Cape Epic Cycling Podcast. We're there. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Um, so on the on the other stuff, um, I guess around gravel. I mean, listen, you're you're you know you you race on the road, but we, I know you 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 dig a bit of off road stuff. Um, I guess the big change is really sort of getting getting rid of TT bars. 
um, from the yeah. pros in in yeah. Unban. And unless I, mean, I, I don't think there's any conversation to be had on that really, other than the fact that it's it's, it's got to be good, right? You can't no, you can't I be sprinting with. I completely tribals. agree with everything that Ian's saying there. You know, it was it used to be a lot more spread out, and and if you've got riders riding together, it's just, in my opinion, simply not safe. If you've got um, time trial bars on the front, you know, if if there's a crash, then it could just be so much worse. And you know, so there's the argument that you say, well, you know, because they've segregated now the pros, um, you know, the pro men, the pro women, and then the amateurs, then people know how to handle their bikes more. But you know, shit happens. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I think that it's I think that it's a good thing. You know, if you're going on a solo adventure, if you're doing an Audax, anything like that, if you want to put your TT bars on, go for it. But if you're riding with hundreds of other people, um, or if you want a group ride, don't turn up with your TT bars or you know stay at the back or something. It all <laughs> it all adds to my campaign to completely get rid of TT bikes. <laughs> so it all feeds into it. It's like they're not I planned this. TT bikes, they're just bars. They're just bars, but get rid. Um, you actually so asked it... me for a pair of TT bars when you were going to do this triathlon that you never did. It was a duathlon. Um, duathlon. Well, listen, on, on that tip, listen, I don't think I'm cut out for duathlons because, um, so I did my I did my first run of, well, since the summer uh, <laughs> at the weekend. I thought, oh, you know, I'll just have a hit out. I'll do it. I did park run, did a reasonably fast 5K. And uh, now I just, three days later, I can barely walk. So, you know. Yeah, running well, is bad. I, I think running is bad. I mean, the only time that I ran, I can't remember if it was 2018 off-season, 2019, I I decided to start running. I went for a run. I was very fit. I went very fast. Couldn't walk for about a week. So went for another run. Um, very quickly gave myself plantar fasciitis. Went on holiday for a week. <laughs> That's only, awful, that is. That's one of the worst only, things. My only holiday of the off-season. Uh, and we went to Crete and I couldn't. I couldn't walk. Like, I simply couldn't walk. I had such bad plantar fasciitis. We just kind of had to sit and do nothing all week, which is just, yeah, drove me absolutely bonkers. Um, so, well, I wouldn't say don't run, but don't do it stupidly like you and I do, Tom. Like, don't just what, go... What is that? Couch no, to 5K. I mean, couch to 5K. Well, I've done, the op- I've done the opposite. I've done 5K to couch because I can't... <laughs> like, that's, that's literally what I've done. Um, back to gravel, though, Lizzie. I, the last thing on gravel... Cause, yeah. um Obviously, it's it's new, and and last year I, I was really disappointed by the the UCI Gravel World Championships. It just uh, didn't capture it. it. It was neither one thing or the other. I I thought in terms of what it captured, in terms of the spirit, and just in terms of the whole um, event, probably because not enough people were drinking beer or something. But um, you were telling me that there's there's there's, there's a little bit of sort of um, a bit of controversy, animosity, out there. controversy about mm. about the sort of dis- the race distances. Well, the thing is with gravel, and I'm not even going to vaguely pretend to be an expert on gravel because I'm not but I do find it interesting it's definitely something I'd like to dip my toes into whether it's a kind of a solo adventure or going to race some events um and it's kind of always been founded on equality so until you know as Ian was saying very recently everybody's ridden together amateurs pros men women um and they've segregated that now for safety reasons and for fairness reasons um but you're still riding the same distances and the UCI Gravel World Champs, which were in Italy last year, well, the men had a 194-kilometre course and the women had a 140k course, which is pretty short for a gravel race, to be honest. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, for a world yeah. championships race, even the road world championships, women's races are usually quite a bit longer than that. Um, and then to add insult to injury, there was a third track which was 166 kilometers so roughly half halfway between the men's and the women's course that was i think it was for 
non-professionals, men 19 right. to 49. I'm not uh, quite okay. sure, but it was it was it was another men's course anyway. And so there has been quite a bit of talk within um you know sort of the professional gravel scene lobbying the UCI to to make this equal. And I am not one who is an advocate for making all race distances between men and women equal because I think in road racing I don't think there's an argument for that and the women don't want it I think it would make the races more boring but I think in this case I do think there's an argument for it I agree something different it was founded in a different way Uh, it was founded on equality it's always been equal and the UCI are taking something that has existed for a long time and they are making it unequal and and I, I think, listen, what I say, sorry to interrupt, but I'd say obviously it's about testing the reliability of your components, of your bike, of your setup as well. The longer the race, the, the more chance we yeah, have to prove and it's, that. You it's know. a like purely endurance challenge, you yeah. know? And if you make it 140 kilometres, there's a different kind of person that's going to win that as to if you make that 200k mm. or 200 miles in the case of some of the crazy American races. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just don't think there's... I don't think there's an argument for it. I don't think there's a a way that you can justify saying that we are putting this women's race as this distance and the men's race as this distance. Like it's just, in my opinion, like the, what is the reason? Like there there is yeah. no reason. It is pure laziness. Mm. So um, yeah, I think that needs to change. I really think that needs to change. If they want to actually kind of represent what gravel is, maybe they don't. <laughs> the UCI who knows then I think they they need to change that and they need to change it sharpish but I don't want to see I mean like very strongly I don't want to see that replicated in road cycling because you know actually what we're seeing in road cycling and I've said this so many times is that we're seeing the men's race almost imitating the women's racing Mm, as their races get shorter everyone goes oh my god this is great it's so interesting there's so much attacking and i'm like hello women's racing has been doing this for years why don't you just watch us you know yeah men's racing is becoming more like women's racing and uh everybody's saying it's great so you could just watch the women's racing (laughs) well honestly we've covered we've 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 delivered hot takes on almost everything there. We've covered that's, that's pretty. That's pretty good. Um, Except gonna, for... Go on, go on. New cycling kits. But for that, you're going to have to wait until next episode. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do that next time. I, I, you know, I'm listen. I, I'm, <laughs> I can't really ride a bike anymore, but I can dress <laughs> like I ride a bike. Um, so that's important yeah, to actually, me. Actually, me, me too, Tom. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you've got all that... You've got that... Um, what, just just move the camera so I can see what's in your kitchen, Lizzie. What's that bike? Um... <laughs> But I'm going to let you go. Before I do, um, I guess I should just ask you sort of like what's next because you are going to get peppered with that question. Oh, Lizzie, you know, when you're racing, when can we see you? And what? So I'm I'm not asking that. I'm just wondering what's next, you know, what's in the next week, the next two weeks, three weeks beyond that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a really good question. And um, do you even know? I I don't know. You know, that is the thing. I I can have a plan at the moment, um, but there's kind of not much point. Um, and I do have I do have a plan. Obviously, I have a plan, but it has to be very fluid because at the moment, you know, I'm back in the gym and it's relatively new. And you know, I've not been in the gym for a year, and so every time I go to the gym, my body takes an absolute beating. Mm. And it's great; it feels great to actually wake up and to hurt, and to sometimes yeah. not even be able to sleep because I can't turn my leg in the night because it's so painful. <laughs> um, but because everything's new and because I'm constantly pushing forward and, you know, trying to get better and better and better, 
my body is taking a beating and there's a really, really fine balance between um, pushing yourself and rest. And it's also something I've not done before. I came back from concussion, but I'd done actually quite a lot of riding throughout that year and I hadn't mm. lost that much fitness. And so this is like a whole new kettle of fish and my team EF Tibco SVB have just been absolutely great about it. It's really this, you know, they're so flexible and understanding and, you know, we hope that I'll be back in May. Um, there's quite a few stage races in May, which I think would be a great place to start. Mm, um, yeah. And it's just kind of see how it goes. You know, hopefully I'll be back earlier. Maybe it'll be a bit later. We we just don't know. Um, I hope that actually I'll be able to test myself with some, some maybe some like long distance endurance rides. Um, my friend was telling me about the Tour de Mont Blanc that you can do on the road here. Um, and I'd always dreamed of doing this. Uh, well, it was actually mountain biking, the Peak 200 in, in Sheffield. And I didn't get to yeah. do it. And uh, so now I'm coming up with these ideas of what I can do here. There's a, a Grand Jura Traversien uh, that I think it's like 400 kilometers along the Jura mountain biking ride. So um, I've got all these ideas of, you know, what I want to do when I get back to fitness. But yeah, it's it's a challenge. You know, I'm self-coached and there's um, there's that difficult thing when, you know, if your athlete's in a bad place, if you're the coach as well, then then your coach is also not in a great place and you're kind of having this conversation and trying to motivate yourself. Um, but it's difficult because you don't know where you're at and you're not where you want to be. And yeah, it's just, uh, it's a balancing act. It's a balancing act. And um, the best way to get to where I want to be is I would say slowly and carefully and just like keep tapping away and just try and stay as positive as possible. So it hopefully all, May. It almost sounded like the famously self-coached Lizzie Banks thinking about getting a coach. Is that is that is that is that? <laughs> you know what, what I, I need? I need the consultant coach for two months until I'm back to like myself, and then because I don't really need a coach. Just, it's a temporary contract. It's a very yeah, a very temporary <laughs> contract. So if you want, if you want to, if you want to just you know, I don't even need to be a coach. I just need somebody to be to just like boost my ego every right, few okay. days. <laughs> Lizzie, you're. You're fabulous. You're wonderful. I mean, look, any good? Does that, that help? But Tom, you know, I do actually have, I'm going to think I'm going to break it here first, that I might be, I may be headed to Paris-Roubaix with Team Cycling Podcast. What does that mean? Does that mean, I, I, am I in that team? Am I in that team? Do I have to ride Paris-Roubaix? I'm not, I'm not trained. <laughs> there isn't you, me, Lionel and Simon Gill with a broken leg. Well, I think, you know what, honestly, listen, I mean, one we'll of the be in things... in the early breakaway. <laughs> I, um, if there is any chance to go to Paris-Roubaix, it's one of my, it's my favourite cycling trip to go from here on the Eurostar uh, to Lille to be in that velodrome in Roubaix. I absolutely adore it. Well, so, I've never um, been. You know, I've never oh, been. It's wonderful. And um, it is a race that I would absolutely love to win. Um, but also just to race. So I think just yeah. to be there would be great. And uh, there's a there's a secret plan, which I just announced here first, uh, that, I, that I may be there with Team Cycling Podcast. Uh, no one tells me anything. No one tells <laughs> me anything. I'm holding this thing together and no one lets me know. Um, listen, <laughs> I I'm am the Cycling get... Podcast. <laughs> I, haven't left, I haven't left the country since like 2019. So I'm, I'm on. I'm coming. Rega if you like it or not, I'm, uh, I'm getting my Eurostar ticket booked and I'm going to be there. Okay. Well, maybe you could, you could do an Ian Boswell. You could pack your kids in the van and this can be the start of Tom, you know, Tom Wallow. Tom, Tom Wallow? Tom Wallow? That's what my wife calls me, actually. She does call me Wallow. So it's fine. Wallow is acceptable. <laughs> that can be your uh, celebrity name. Tom Wallow yeah. Gravel 2.0. Uh, listen, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm putting a pin in it. I'm... Um, 
I'm going to be there. And I'm going to immediately phone. I'm going to call Lionel now and find out what the secret plan is. <laughs> okay. I mean, presumably, it's, presumably it's just I mean, you do you goes... even know how to fix puncture anymore? <laughs> uh, no, it's been a while, honestly. A, the only the only problems I have with my bikes at the moment are occasionally I notice that I've like a cable snapped because I've rough because I've sweated through well, it. Well, I so was going to say, I mean, so that much, is a risk know. of being on the turbo trainer for so long yeah. because you really drip sweat into the into the head tube and you have to. What? Be pretty careful with covering that because it yeah, really I've, I've rots through your rots through your cables. I've noticed, but my my um on that note on on, on that note my road bike I took it into the shop about February last year, <laughs> and it's ready. So um you know brilliant. I've got a road bike again. So it's been there for a year. But you I need can to have actually it back. pick it up, Tom. You need to actually yeah. pick it up in order for it to be able to ride it. It's you keep telling me yeah. you've been telling me it's ready for about eight months. It's been ready a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. yeah. So I'll go get it. Um, well, right, I'm off to do that now. In fact, Lizzie, I'm going to okay. do it now. Okay, I um, but don't I'll let you go. You, but we'll see. You, I'll see you next month, and I can I'll guarantee you will still not have a road bike. And I'll see you in Roubaix in April. I will see you in Roubaix in April. Thank you, Tom. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Burney. <laughs>